0: chapter 10 today we are going dis- to be discussing a a topic that is called soteriology <laughs> soteriology everybody anybody remember those ologies in school that you just dreaded <laughs> well soteriology is probably well there's no not no probably about it it is the most important subject in all of human history to every single one who has ever lived. Soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. Soteriology comes from the Greek word that means salvation or to be saved, soteria. And it is the study of that. And Paul, Paul makes no bones about it at the beginning of the letter when we began back in chapter one of Romans, that that's the whole point of the letter. He comes right out. As a matter of fact, turn back with me there. Keep your finger in Romans 10 here, but go back a few pages, Romans chapter one. Paul says right away at the beginning that he is set apart for the gospel of God. And the gospel, we know, the gospel—the word gospel means good news. But there's good news all over the place. I mean, depending on, on wh- who your favorite team is at any given time during the week, you know, there's good news about things. and all, But the good news of God is, is, is what Paul is focused in on. And really, the only good news that really ultimately matters, and he speaks of that now down in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, For it is the power of God for salvation, again, soteria, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness now Paul mentions there and we're going to see it as we move through our study today again he's talking about again soteriology the doctrine of salvation how to be saved and he speaks of the gospel of God the power of God the righteousness of God and the wrath of God salvation soteria is bottom line that is what we avoid to be saved. If you're going to be saved, you need to be saved from something. And that's what's missing in a whole lot of gospel presentations today. What is somebody saved from? Well, we just read it in verse 18 of chapter 1, the wrath of God. The wrath of God that is poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. But then we're going to look at today, and in the verses that we're going to read through today, we're going to see salvation mentioned three times, but another term that is mentioned ten times, and that is righteousness. Salvation is what we avoid, but righteousness is what we become in order to be saved from the wrath of God. Remember, we've talked of this word justified many times in our Romans study. That means to be declared righteous. It's not about imitation, it's about impartation. It's the righteousness of God that is imparted to us through Christ Jesus. And again, the righteousness of God. Now as we study and as we read through today, we're going to see that, that, that it, the righteousness of God is not the only righteousness that is out there, but it is the only righteousness that works. It is the only righteousness that brings salvation. Follow along with me, and we're going to get a little bit of a running start in, in verse 30 of chapter nine, where I mentioned last week that these really tie together. Verse 30 is kind of starting this whole process into chapter 10. Paul writes, "What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed." Chapter 10, Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, for the Jewish people. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Paul clearly lays out again here these two different righteousnesses, if you would. First of all, he speaks again of the righteousness of God. That is based on, that is out of, that is from faith. Faith alone. There is also a righteousness that he speaks of in these verses that, that again he's speaking of his Jewish brothers and sisters who have not accepted in faith Christ as their Messiah, that they continue to try to attain to in order to, to be right with God. And it goes beyond that. And not just the Jewish people, that's who Paul's addressing, but All around the world, people trying to get right with God by a different form of righteousness that is based on, that is out of, that is from the law, trying to do right, their own version of the law, their own adherence standards to the law. And he says in this that it is because of their own way of doing this, they establish their own, not submitting to God's righteousness. Because of that, Paul, and and we talked of this when we got into and started into chapter 9, Paul has an enormous burden for the Jewish people, his brothers and sisters, Paul being a Jew himself and understanding their situation, their lostness in their pursuit of, of righteousness in their own because he was there. He himself was that. He boasting in, in Philippians, he said, I was like that. As a matter of fact, if there was anybody that could boast in the flesh and in the works of the law, it was me. I, was, I, I checked all of the boxes. But when he came face to face with the risen Lord Jesus, all of that went away. All of that came apart. And because of that, he has such a burden for them as we talked about this last time in in the beginning of chapter 9. So much so, he said that if it were possible, if I could, I would forfeit my own salvation. I would would be separated from Christ myself if it meant they all could be saved. But the problem is there is nothing that we can do for someone else. None None of us, as much as I love you guys, me doing anything for you falls eternally short of what is required. Paul knowing that again, has this amazing desire. Notice it says, brethren, my heart's desire, deep, passionate desire, but that desire for their salvation, notice what it led to, and my prayer to God for them. His desire moved him to prayer. Understanding and realizing that there's nothing physically that he could do. He can't buy it for them. He can't do something for them. He knows the only thing that he can do, and the best thing that he can do is to pray for them. And I want to take a moment right here to encourage you all. Please come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Once a month, we get together at 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening, and we call it Encounter. It's a night that's a time of worship and a time of prayer. And we need to pray we need to have a burden on our hearts and that burden leading to praying for our neighborhoods, for our community. It's Christmas time. <laughs> and all around us, we see it, don't we, that everybody has got this, this totally, totally warped view of what Christmas is all about santa claus and elves and and spending spending way more than you make in order to impress people that really don't care and all of this other kind of stuff instead of what the true meaning of christmas is guys next saturday the real christmas surprise where we Tell our community what Christmas is all about. We need to get those cards after the service, hand them to our neighbors, invite them, and tonight get out here and pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for us by neighborhoods. We'll be praying about other things too, but guys, I, just, I have an enormous burden on my heart to be praying for surprise this Christmas season. I don't know if you're watching what's going on in the world, especially the Middle East right now, but guys, the clock is ticking. We don't have a lot of time left, and we need to be praying. Well, Paul, again, praying, tells us in verse 2 again, he testifies about them. It's not that they dismiss God, that they want nothing to do with God. As a matter of fact, they have an, a, a passion for God. They are zealous for God. They are absolutely, totally, completely sincere in their pursuit. The problem with, with that is they're sincerely wrong. And so many around us are the same way. Last night before the service, one of the ladies in our church was telling me that this week she had a Jehovah's Witness come to her door. And this, this, this Jehovah's Witness came and he said, you know, I have a verse from the Bible for you today. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And she goes, I know that verse and quoted it to him. And he was going, wow, okay, well I have another verse for you and it was from Isaiah and she goes, I know that verse and quoted it to him. And he's going, wow, you really know your Bible. I go to Calvary Chapel, of course I know my Bible. (laughs) But it it kept on bringing it to that sincere, I mean sincere enough that he's going door to door but sincerely wrong, lost, lost. Mormons, same thing, sincere, giving up two years of their life to go around the world on missions and that type of stuff, but without knowledge, sincerely wrong. Muslims, some so sincere, they'll strap bombs on their body, that sincere, but sincerely wrong. And Paul himself, as I mentioned, sincerely wrong before he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus as his Lord. Understand this, guys, and make no apology about it as Christians. Absolute truth is exclusive. There's no other way around it. One plus one equals two. Doesn't matter how left out three feels. It doesn't matter how narrow-minded three feels about that. It's reality. And the reality is, Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is the truth, as narrow as that is. And Jesus makes no bones about it. It's a narrow way. But praise the Lord, there's a way. He did not have to make one. He didn't owe us that. But he did. He made a way. And we, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth, and because of that, it is exclusive. The great part about the exclusivity of it is that it is available to everybody. However, not all receive it, obviously. Even as Paul's heart's breaking for his Jewish brothers and sisters, their own Messiah, the one promised to them in their own scriptures they missed, And Paul tells us that that Christ, the solid rock on which we stand, basically, there's two things. He's either the cornerstone for you or he's the stumbling stone for you. And he's saying that, this quoting Isaiah in a couple of spots. The stumbling stone. Zealous, but without knowledge. And and it's not like they didn't know their scriptures. Jesus was talking to the Sadducees and one particular instance, and they knew the scriptures so well. As a matter of fact, most of them had it memorized, all of it. And he said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. They knew it all here, but they didn't have understanding. They didn't have it in, in their heart. And because of that, it says that they set out to establish their own, their own righteousness. Not submitting to God. Traditions. Traditions that were passed on and became so entrenched that they, that they trumped the word of God. Even replacing the word of God. Traditions and what man says became far more important than what the word of God says. I had the opportunity a few years ago to sit next to a young man on a, on a, a return trip from Israel. And this young man was in his early 20s. Uh, A Jewish young man grew up early in his life and his family in Southern California. They sent him over for four years to study in one of the top rabbinical schools in Jerusalem. And he's on his way back home. And I sat there, and I, I was just thinking, man, Lord, this is, this, what an opportunity, right? So I'm sitting there, and for the whole flight, I'm asking him questions about Scripture, and I got my Bible out, and I'm asking him about these types of things. And I'm in the Old Testament. I'm in there, and I'm asking, well, what do you think about this? Every response was, my rabbi says, my rabbi says, my rabbi says. And I said, yeah, but the word of God says. <laughs> but my rabbi says. And then there were certain ones that I would ask him, he says, oh, we never talked about that. Like Isaiah 53 that speaks of the suffering Messiah to come. Oh, we don't talk about that. Establishing their own. The problem with establishing our own righteousness is it brings a holy, righteous, perfect God down to our level. It puts him on, on 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 a plane with us. Making him less holy and, and more tolerant. And we see that all around, even into the church today, don't we? Oh, it's okay. That's, that, that's outdated. That's all this. No, God never changes. <laughs> And the problem with that, as it dealt with there, and we see it again even today, is is that all of a sudden now the Jewish people didn't believe they needed a Messiah to save themselves from their sins. They needed one to come and save them from the tyranny of Rome. That's what they were looking for, physical deliverance from Rome, not spiritual deliverance from the wrath of God. And again, that's what the world wants. I don't, need, I don't need a savior from my sins because I'm better than most people out there. What I need is somebody to help me get a better job or to, to help me get out of this, this particular relationship or whatever like that. And again, totally totally missing it. As we, as we look at this, I wanna, I wanna jump ahead to verse five and then come back to verse four because in an, in an attempt to establish their own Again, missing with it, it says in chapter five, for Moses writes, Moses, their Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. If you're going to follow the law, you're gonna be held completely accountable to the law, totally. Bottom line, if you wanna get to God by keeping the law, there's that, you can't get there from here. Keep your, keep your finger here and turn with me in the Gospel of Matthew to Matthew chapter 19. See an encounter that Jesus has with a young man with regard to the, the law. This, this exchange that goes on. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16 story of the rich young ruler and someone came to him and said teacher what good things shall i do that i may attain obtain eternal life and he said to him why are you asking me about what is good there is only one who is good but if you wish to enter into life keep the commandments then he said to him which ones and i right away there i'm so glad that i'm not jesus and so is this guy. I, I can tell you how I'd have probably answered that. But anyway, the odd ones, no, anyway. <laughs> Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? All these I have kept. Was he lying? I don't think he was. I mean, lying is deliberately trying to deceive somebody. I don't think he was. I think he was the one who was deceived. I think he was the one, again, brought up in this this thing that says, okay, you know what? I'm bringing God down to my level. Yeah, I mean, compared to most people, I got all of that stuff pretty much right on. Jesus said this to him, though. If you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, "Then who can be saved?" And looking at them, Jesus said to them, "With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible." Now I, I've heard it said, and and. And no doubt there's application with this when it comes to being, you know, again, the rich man, the focus on the riches. But I believe the one thing that struck this young man more than anything, more, even more than selling his possessions and giving it to the poor, was when Jesus said, come follow me. Because then all of a sudden he realized that is a holy man. That is one that I, I, I can't measure up to. I can, I'm, I'm fine when I'm looking at all of these others, but to follow him... And that brings the application to all of us. Some of us can say, well, I'm not a rich person, so that's good for me. No, this brings it to everybody because, again, this brings it right to the law and to following after the law and to try to, try to do these types of things. Again, the standard is set perfectly following the law. James says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. He, Jesus said it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. Now, perhaps you've been in a, you've heard it, I did years ago in, in a Bible study, and I was thinking, man, that's, that's really cool that, you know, the, the, next to the big gates that led into the city that they closed at night, that next to it was a smaller gate. And the only way for a camel to get through that gate because it was so low is that the camel had to get down on on its knees and crawl through like this. And that was called the eye of the needle, that smaller gate. And I was thinking, wow, that is really cool because you gotta humble yourself and yada, da, da, da. That'll preach. The problem is, it's not true. (laughs) that's That's not at all, there is no such thing. No, the needle that Jesus is speaking of and it references it there is the needle that you and I would think of. As a matter of fact, Matthew and Mark use the the word for sewing needle, and Luke uses the word for a surgical needle. So is it possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Well, the only way that I could think of is you need two things, a blender and a lot of time. (laughs) But outside of that, outside of that, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But... With God, all things are possible. And that's the point that, again, Paul is making as we go back here. This, this pursuit that they have in their own, establishing their own righteousness, it can't work. It can't in our effort to try to do whatever we can. The best that we can bring is filthy rags. The Bible tells us that, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to a holy, righteous, and pure God. Verse 4, though, says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What is Paul saying with that? Well, Jesus tells us again in Matthew, and I'll put the verses up this time. You can jot it down if you want to look it up in your own Bibles later. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not abolished. Jesus did not come to abolish, destroy, replace, or in any way contradict the law. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 248 positive, 365 negative, a playground for the legalistic mind. And that is what Jesus opposed. He opposed the legalistic man-made religious system. As a matter of fact, he made it really simple. He said, here's the deal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on those two commandments, hang all of the rest. The law and the prophets, every bit of it, hang on, those two things. Jesus said in John chapter 5, again speaking to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. All of it. All of the, the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. He said, it's all, it's all about me. It's all pointing to me. When it comes to the dietary and the Sabbath laws, Jesus accomplished those effectually. It tells us in Colossians that, that those are a mere shadow. Jesus is the substance. That's why as Christians, we're not bound to dietary laws and, and Sabbath laws because Jesus fulfilled that. He's the substance. But when it comes to the moral law, it's not like, okay, since Jesus came, it's a free for all for all of us. No. When it comes to the moral law, Jesus obeyed that perfectly, completely. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet without sin, not one. And as we already looked at, if it would have been just one, guilty of all. In Jesus, we also see the heart of God revealed completely in the law. Why was it given? Was it, did, did God give the law just because he wanted to keep us under his thumb, to keep us in a, in a box, to ruin all our fun? No, it's because of his, his desperate love for us and his understanding of, of what we would do apart from him and apart from from his law given to us. We've said this before, but it's it's so important. Guys, something is not bad because it is sin. It's sin because it is bad. God said, don't do this, because if you do this, it will be bad for you and or bad for others. And the, the things that he said to do, he said, do these things so that you can be blessed. And again, ultimately, we know taking our punishment, he satisfied the law completely. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." So he poured out his perfect blood for you and I. Again, fulfilling does not mean eliminating. As a matter of fact, as born-again believers, we are now... Able to do something we could not do before. And that is keep the law. We couldn't do it before. Even in our best efforts, we could not keep the law. But now, filled with the Holy Spirit, God in us, we are able to. He said, not the smallest letter, no jot or tittle. It removes the legalistic burden, but it raises the literal bar. Because Jesus goes on to say, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to give some examples. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say... If you harbor bitterness, anger, hatred in your heart towards someone, in your heart, you've already committed murder. That that rich young ruler, I've never murdered anybody, got it. Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've ever looked upon a, a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. That rich young ruler, hey, I've never, I have never physically had an adulterous relationship. But Jesus raises that bar. It's a heart thing. Remember, I said that Paul he laid out all of this stuff. And he he could have checked all of those things too, right? When it came and didn't steal from anybody, never committed adultery, never killed anybody. You know, go right on down the list. But what undid him? Chapter 7. Remember, we talked about that? coveting, when he realized the fact that I hadn't stolen my neighbor's chariot, but I sure wanted to, was just as bad, (laughs) all of a sudden it undid him. And he understands, again, justification, to be declared righteous, sanctification is not imitating Jesus, it is having his righteousness imparted to us. He's the one who tells in, writes in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It's not, it's, not, it's not me anymore doing this. It's Christ now, his righteousness, his life lived out through me. And that is the only way to be righteous before God. He continues with that word, but. Remember, Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. That is what you are held to. Verse six, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart little homework for the sake of time. I won't go there this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is what he is quoting there. Moses, Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law, not, not the second law. It's the same law given a second time to the children of Israel as they are about to enter the promised land. And he gives this law to them, and then he explains to them, using this terminology, guys, you don't have to go up to heaven to get it and to understand it. You don't have to go to the other side of the world to get it and to understand it. God has placed it in your heart. It's placed it in your mouth. It is accessible. It is right there for you and available to everyone. Paul takes that and speaks now to us, again, the fulfillment of that law in Christ Jesus, and applies that, notice he uses that term, that is, to bring Christ da- down, or that is, to bring Christ up. He, he says, here Christ even fulfills this. Who will ascend into heaven? We don't need to worry about that. Because of what we celebrate right now, this season, the incarnation, we don't need to go up to heaven. Heaven came down to us. Jesus, God himself, put on human flesh and became one of us. We, not that we could ascend to heaven, but we don't need to because he came down to us. We'll descend into the abyss. Again, don't need to. Jesus went there for us and rose again. The, the righteousness that is, that is of their own that doing all that, it's all about do, do, do. And that's the problem. The, fa- the glorious truth is, guys, it's done, done, done. Jesus paid it all. He hung on the cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full. And Paul's point, what is it? What does it say, verse eight? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Same thing back in Deuteronomy, guys. accessible and completely understandable so simple a child can understand and receive that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life that God the creator of the universe Our creator, the one that we are accountable for, loves us so much, and he demonstrated that love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no excuse. But Paul goes on to say in verse 9 and following that there's something that we have to do with that truth. It's not just something that can be on a page in front of us. It's not something even that can be just accepted here in our heads intellectually. We have to do something with that knowledge. And notice he says here at the end of verse 8, that is the word of faith which we are preaching that, or better translated probably because, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who come to him, and whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved." You see, again, guys, it's not not about knowledge intellectually. It's not about understanding certain things or even accepting certain facts. I'll give you some facts right now. Every demon is a creationist. There is not one demon that believes in evolution. They laugh at everyone who believes it. They said they bought it again. Not one of them is an evolutionist. They all believe in creation. They saw it. saw it right after it happened. All of them are monotheists. They don't believe in multiple gods. They know there's only one true and almighty God. They just rebelled against him. All of them believe in the Trinity. They know that. All of them believe in the virgin birth. They witnessed it. All of them believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were all rooting against it, but it happened. But none of them are saved. Paul lays it out for us right here. It's not about having that intellectual knowledge in your head, but believing in your heart. I've heard it said many times, a lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. (laughs) Believing in your heart. God raised him from the dead. That's, in, that's hugely important. Remember, Paul writes it, guys, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are all still guilty before God. We are all still dead in our trespasses and sins. The resurrection validates who Jesus is, the son of the living God, God himself. It validates everything that he said, and it validates what he did for you and me. It proves that his penalty... Paid on the cross for you and I was accepted by God on our behalf. And the result it tells us here is the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) That we become the righteousness of God in him. Not our own righteousness. It is imputed to us. It is given to us by faith. Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. But it it goes beyond making him savior. Lord goes to that level. He's in control. He is almighty God. He is your creator. He is your savior. He is your redeemer. Your life surrendered and given over to him. Interesting biblical fact. Jesus is referred to as Savior in the New Testament 10 times. He's referred to as Lord over 700. Now that does not diminish his role as our Savior, obviously. But it certainly puts into perspective his his position as Lord, does it not? Lord of our life. He's not just our get out of hell free card. He's Lord. He is almighty God. In the outward confession with our mouth, the outward profession is simply that manifestation of the inward work that has been done, our regeneration. The Bible says that you cannot say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's not just saying the words. Again, that is saying from a heartfelt response, truly making Jesus Lord of your life. And here we see a couple of times, Paul tells us, whoever will do that will be saved. It is available to everyone. Jesus said, John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. The glorious truth of salvation. Again, guys, God did not have to give us away. He could have just wiped us all out, could have just totally left us to our own destruction to face his wrath forever. But he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. That whoever will believe, whoever will embrace that truth, who will ever make Jesus Lord of their life will not face the wrath of God forever, but will face the glory of God, share in the glory of God forever in heaven. That's what's at stake. That's why soteriology is so important. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you're relying even on on some form of your own righteousness to make yourself right with God, I'm here to tell you based based on the word of God, not my words, the word of God, that will never be enough. But there is a free gift available to you today. If you will simply humble yourself and receive it, you too can be saved. You too can know the the glorious freedom of being saved. No longer a slave to sin and death, but a slave to Jesus. And as we saw here, you will not be disappointed. Maybe you're here today, and, and at one point in your life, you gave your life to the Lord, but you, you've wandered away. I invite you to come back to Jesus today. He's waiting with his arms wide open. And as David cried out, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You can have the joy returned to you today. And for the rest of us, guys, we celebrate again the, the glory of the salvation that is ours In Christ Jesus, may that move us to praise and worship in a a way even far greater than we ever have, but let it also move us with compassion and a burden for the lost around us, and would that move us to do something about it this week, starting with praying tonight and inviting, using those cards as an icebreaker, to invite, to, to share this wonderful gift that we have because it's available to all. Would you please stand? Let's pray and then let's worship our, our king one more time together. Father, we, we thank you. Again, we thank you for the love that you extend to us, the mercy and the grace that you lavish upon us that is so undeserved. The truth is, Lord, and we all confess it, we deserve nothing but your wrath. But in your mercy, you withhold that because of what Jesus did for us, taking it upon himself. You extend us your grace instead. We are blown away by that. Lord, we We accept the fact, as you said, you came to fulfill it all. And because you did, and because you are in us now, you give us power over sin in our lives. Lord, our prayer is that we would walk in a manner worthy of this amazing gift that you've given to us. If there's anything in our life that is displeasing to you, Lord, we confess that to you right now and put that down at your feet. Wash us again. Lord, use us this week with our friends, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with the the people we come in contact with at the store and all around. Lord, use us to be a light in this time, in this city. Lord, we pray for great revival this Christmas season in Surprise and around the world. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to make Jesus Lord of your life, It is a matter of responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart right now. It's a supernatural thing that goes on. It's it's a confession. It's a humbling on your part, but you receive the gift that is being extended to you. You just pray something along these lines in your heart saying, God, I am a sinner. I desperately need you. I have been trying trying to fix this on my own and I know I can't. So Jesus, right now, would you wash away my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you come into my life and you take control? I surrender to you. Have your way in me. And again, if that's you here today and you've wandered away from God, he is standing with his arms open before you and just asking you to come back. Just turn back to him. Have the joy of your salvation restored. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you this this time of year, especially for the fact that you chose to become one of us. We worship you and we praise you this morning and always. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen.